This is The Shift Podcast. Coming up on The Shift Daily Podcast, post-Olympics in Tokyo, Sir Christopher Gilbert joins us to chat about some of the parties on the planes with the athletes on the way home, namely Australian and New Zealand parties that happen on the plane. Let's just say no more booze. That's what happened. Also coming up, we had a conversation with Mad Canada about drinking and driving turned it into impaired driving because there's more we need to know through the cases of covid and the pandemic people were at home they weren't in the pubs turns out though impaired driving was up not down i found that surprising the conversation is very important to hear and share plus are you okay with ikea meatballs in a candle version Uh uh-huh how about showing up for a sightseeing tour of cats or suing McDonald's for being too yummy for $14. All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast coming up for you. Fresh off his job of uh, canteen supervisor at the Tokyo Olympics, let's go all the way across the Pacific Ocean to Tokyo and the International Dispatch. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. Sir Christopher Gilbert was one of our producers here on The Shift until he moved away, but now he lives in Tokyo, and he is our inside man on all things around the world, and also with everything going on in Tokyo, and did not know this, also expert in Kit Kats. Hi, Chris. Wow. Hey. Well, I mean, I can Google um, a Kit Kat fact um, as well as the best of them. I'm, I'm, I'm Fast Hands Gilbert. That's what they call me, Fast Fingers Gilbert. My fingers fly on the keyboard. So uh, That's weird. You know? Yeah. Well, how about you and Ryan nerd out about Kit Kats for a second before we get started? Okay, Ryan, uh, you, you, you go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, okay, so my roommate is trying every single flavor of Japanese Kit Kat. And if you didn't know, uh, they have many more flavors than... I just ate a cherry blossom flavored Kit Kat, which was delicious. And next up in front of me is sparkling wine. With yeah. a lovely picture yeah. of Santa Claus on it. It's, it's I want to so, try sake yeah. and sake soy one. sauce. There is a soy sauce one. There's a wasabi yeah, one. But why, though? Why is this a thing? Why Why am I eating this? Well, well I mean, only you can answer that question. But, Shane, are you saying you want to try the, the, the sake and, and soy sauce flavored Kit Kats? Or do you just want to drink some sake and then drink some soy sauce right after it? Mm, I'll drink the sake, yeah, the soy sauce. It's a little salty. Uh, but yeah, the Kit Kats is really what I meant there. Yeah, no. So there, there's a thing in Japan called omiyage, which means um, in Japan, there's lots of holidays. Uh, I guess you could say national holidays, but national holidays are often grouped together into uh, we have a, a week off here called Golden Week and a half week off in November called Silver Week. Uh, the the uh, the New Year's holidays are a week long. Everyone has that off. We have a week long holiday at the moment, which is kind of cancelled, obviously this year called Obon. Um, so everyone goes on a holiday at the same time, and then when they come back to their uh, workplaces, usually they'll take like a box of chocolates or like a, a box of cookies or something from the area that they went to, and usually inside Japan uh, that they traveled to. Um, if you travel around Japan, you can find uh, just at every Shinkansen station or a bullet train station or airport, like these shops, which are sell beautifully, of course, beautifully packaged uh, boxes of uh, cookies and treats and stuff. Usually they'll uh, have like a little uh, logo of the local mascot on them or something. 
So uh, Kit Kats are no exception. Uh, Kit Kats, there's so many flavors of Kit Kat in Japan um, because of this culture. Uh, uh, I am not going to read out uh, all of the varieties because there's so many. But if you go to Kit Kats in Japan, Wikipedia, um, I'll give you a sample. Um, Okay, let's look. Cough Drop is a flavor. (laughs) That's not Uh, the best one to start with. Okay. (laughs) It's the first one that caught my eye. (laughs) Yeah. Cough drop, uh, I mean, why not? Um, red potato, maple, uh, fruit parfait, chestnut, mm-hmm. chocolate banana, pear, pumpkin, mm-hmm. soda, and also some Japanese flavors, of course, as uh, Shane mentioned, uh, sake, uh, kinako, uh, which is a kind of flavoring here, black tea, miso soup, uh, cantaloupe. Oh, yummy. Salty. Oh, uh, bakeable custard. I- I've had this one. I think this is, this is the... Um, or maybe I didn't send it to a friend, but this is the, uh, the the one that you actually put in the oven and you bake the Kit Kat. It's meant to be quite delicious. What? Um, That's so cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna um, try the sparkling wine one right now because it smells like. Oh yeah. Wine. Should we do a live taste test? Go, yeah, go I'm on. Do go it right on. Now. Give us your your best Anthony Bourdain. Go on. What the? This is your moment. Oh my god! It tastes <laughs> like wine. What the <laughs> heck? What is in that? Is it like a white chocolate? Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it says on the label sparkling wine, Ryan. Does it what? bubble too? It might might be a hint. I feel like I'm about to be poured another glass here. Okay. I love Japan. Oh, damn. I love it. I'm jealous. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to get off the radio right now and go get some sparkling wine. Um, I'll also just quickly say that um, in our research in the break there that I found out that um, Kit Kat is a fortunate name in Japanese. Uh, in Japanese, it's pronounced kitokato. And kitokato sounds very familiar to kitokatsu. And kitokatsu means you will surely win. <laughs> I there love you go. That. They, they, yeah, like, they like Kit Kats here. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. There we go. So now we know about the Kit Kats. Sir Christopher Gilbert is in Tokyo. Now, if you don't know Chris's history, he's from New Zealand. Then he was in Tokyo. Then he was in Canada. Then he went back to Tokyo. And um, so, I mean, the accent sometimes, um, you know, is a giveaway. I think Chris's accent is actually heavier since he's left Canada and gone to Tokyo, which is great. Okay. Now, yeah. you, um, well, I do, I do think so. The, the, um, oh, sorry, you're going, you're going to go ahead there. I was going to go on to the story. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say that I've actually done um, a lot of talking to New Zealanders in the last two weeks during the Olympics. Um, just yeah. a lot of New Zealand radio gigs. Uh, almost daily so um i have i've had to sound like um my my you know my homeland otherwise people won't listen to me or understand me so i think you're probably oh, right fun. there shane could be i was sorry i was laughing at ryan's face he took another bite of the wine kick cat shaking his head all about <laughs> on, the, uh, <laughs> on the zoom call we're on a video zoom call too so we can all see each other sorry i realized the uh the vehicle here sort of fails us a little bit okay so olympics are done uh, the bubble has burst. Well, the Paralympics are coming. Um, but your fellow Kiwis threw a bit of a bash on the party on their way out of Tokyo. Why didn't you jump on the flight? Yeah, I know. I wish I was. Um, can I say both the Australians and the New Zealanders got drunk on their party flight, party bus flights back to New Zealand? And, um, of course, typical typical um, British colony, ex-British colonies, somebody complained about it. Um, but Kiwi Olympians, Olympians returning from Tokyo behaved badly, apparently, on their chartered flight, with some dressing, drinking excessively. Uh, they're New Zealanders, so they're all drinking excessively. 
and they were throwing worn face masks at crew, prompting a pilot to leave the cockpit to intervene, a witness claims. Um, can I just say that uh, this sounds incredibly fun because they're on a chartered plane. There's no one else on this plane. They're just, you know, mm-hmm. they've been at the Olympics. Probably an incredibly stressful Olympics because New Zealanders aren't used to what you and I are used to, which is, um, oh, my God, did that person sneeze? Why are they not wearing a mask? Did I hear a cough over yeah. there? Where has this point. been? Then they're not used to that stuff and they would have experienced that in uh, Japan. So of course they're drinking on the plane home. Only New Zealand delegates are on this flight, which means the NARC is um, from their own ranks, Yeah, which is incredible to me. Um, another person on the plane, which landed in Christchurch last Monday, carrying rugby players, surfers, swimmers, footballers, rowers, trampolines, and shooters described a party bus like atmosphere on several occasions staff threatened to close the bar the ultimate threat in new zealand they threatened to close the bar <laughs> if instructions were not followed the passenger says the patient uh, they say it was definitely not a normal flight um however a new zealand sporting official who was on board said that while it was a bit of a party flight the actions of the uh, athletes were innocent enough it was all very jovial and light-hearted all they wanted to do was have a beer and have a sing um, apparently the pilot uh, went out and was like, oh, can you keep it down a bit, please? Um, and that was about the end of it. Although the narc on the flight, um, who wanted to remain anonymous, because of course they did, although I have a feeling like everybody on the plane knows who they are, uh, they claimed riotous drunken actions of some athletes on board, and it was appalling. They said they drank excessively, and they were out of control for the entire journey. Um, the captain who attempted to deal with the situation, in quotation fingers, uh, by making announcements using the public address system. <laughs> so um, which which sport do you think the uh, the tattletale is from? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I would, I don't, it would not have been an Olympian. It would have been um, some dumb official. Um, but let's have a look. They were rugby players. Who, who would they have been affiliated with? Rugby players, surfers, swimmers, footballers, rowers, trampolinists, and shooters. Might have been a rower. Did, yeah, I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm going for either rower or um, trampolinist to be off doing. Because, you know, the, the trampolinists, like their, uh, their coaches and their staff, they have a really strict regime. I think uh, if, if it's going to be anybody, it's either going to be the people who get up at three o'clock in the morning to, to you know to go push themselves around on a lake, or um, you know don't eat for four days so they can jump a bit higher. It's going to be one of those two. It definitely was not a rugby player. <laughs> no way, no way. Um, the Australians did the same thing. Um, headline here from August fourth: uh, Australian Olympic athletes under fire for a rowdy drunken flight home. Um, by the way, this by the way, have you guys ever heard of something like this before? Is this a normal Olympian thing to get absolutely sloshed on their flights home? Well, they normally have sex with each other. Like it turns into a giant. Not date. on the plane, though. Isn't this is not Wolf of Wall Street? Oh, I, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I would imagine there's a party on the plane. Well, yeah. Like I, I, I just feel think like this is pretty normal, right? Yeah, I, I yeah. like if if the if you won. A sports championship, and you know, and away from your home city, and you fly home. I think that flight should be a party. Yeah, yeah especially um, under these situations, this, these circumstances, where this is probably the only chartered flight. You know, like the sevens rugby team is ever going to have. I mean, there's seven of them, and they've got a whole plane. So, this is really their one chance to um, 
you know, get get loaded in the air. The thing about the Australians, though, um, <laughs> that I really like, um, who was on? Uh, doesn't oh yeah, the, the soccer team and the rugby team, of course. Again, um, they were involved on their plane in hours of rowdy and drunken antics on a ten-hour return flight from Tokyo to Sydney that touched down on Friday morning. Um, According to the report, <laughs> other passengers on the flight said some of the passengers refused to follow instructions again. And this is my favorite bit. Allegedly raided the alcohol stored in the galley of the plane. I love they it. just got up and just helped them. I only realized recently that, you know, you don't have to wait for the person to come around to you to fill up your orange juice or your water or whatever. You can go down and help yourself with those things sometimes. Um, I've never helped myself to the Jack Daniels, though. That's, that's yeah. a very Australian move. Now, you now what what country was Ryan? You realize what just happened here. What what country was this plane and these athletes from? Australia. Australia. Get out of here. Yeah. Just drive from town to paradise, and you'll see why we call Australia home. Australia. Oh, what is what is going on right now? It's the Australia song. <laughs> Can, I'm I'm triggered. <laughs> I figured that might happen. Australia comes up on the shift. Um, we play the Australia song. Can, I'm sorry. Can we put a handbrake on and just drift drift around this for a second? Um, what is the <laughs> What is the Australia song? It's just a song. It's a cover of Outcast that um, that uh, was yeah. released, and it's all about Australia. <laughs> did someone say australia that's the word of the day <laughs> like balloons fall australia. from the ceiling oh my god australia. see you know they're not <laughs> saying australia they're saying straya which is australian straya. for australia straya, yep. <laughs> straya. australia. it's well, it's pronounced on my uh, little screen here s-t-r-a-y-a yeah, Australia. that's Australia. Yeah, but you know, so I, I, I will say that although both um, countries, uh, Olympians, um, got drunk and had fun on their flights home, only one of those countries, and they won't say which one, is descended from criminals and broke into the liquor cabinet. <laughs> that's such a New Zealander thing to say, my goodness. <laughs> such, a, such a me thing to say. It is true. Sir Christopher Gilbert, the International Dispatch. Okay, let's take a little tour around the world, Chris. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, so China, uh, do you remember the wandering elephants? They're walking around. They're walking. They're walking. Yeah. They walk for a long way. You remember those guys? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, the, the uh, big news today, they've turned around and they're walking back. And uh, no way. that's the story. <laughs> there you go. Big no story. Serious? <laughs> yeah, they're that's walking home. That's, that's, that's it. Yeah. They just need to stretch their they're legs. Just going for a, a big walk. Shred some COVID yeah, just... pounds. I respect that. Yeah. Really, yeah. hey? That's it. Um, that's it. There you go. Oh, man, there's so many new sound effects on the show. You guys are really sprucing it up. Um, China's wandering yeah. elephants may finally be heading home. I like the word finally in this headline by the Associated Press, as though we've all been waiting for it. Um, an elephant herd that fascinated locals and people around the world. Um, that's also nice too. Locals and people around the world. I like that. Um, by making a year long journey into urbanized Southwest China, raiding farms and even a retirement home for food appears to finally be headed home. 
Uh, local authorities uh, have deployed trucks, workers, and drones to monitor the elephants, evacuated roads for them to pass safely, and uh, used food to steer them away from populated areas. Despite their entrance into villages and a close approach to the Yunnan provincial capital of Kunming, no animals or humans have been injured. The 14 Asian elephants of... <laughs> I like this. The 14 Asian elephants of various sizes and ages... <laughs> So, why did you? Why, why even bother writing that? Like, They're body shaming elephants, man. Yeah. Some were big, mm. some were small, some are young, some are old. They were guided across the Yangjiang. Uh, I'm going to pronounce this poorly. I'm sorry. Um, Yangjiang River in Yunnan on Sunday night, and a path is being opened for them to return to the nature reserve where they lived. And um, a, a long way away. I'm not even going to try and pronounce that. Uh, one more paragraph here. The elephants left the reserve more than a year ago for unknown reasons. Um, I'm sure people have asked them, um, interviewed them, and the, the elephants, you know, they don't forget, but they also don't have to say anything. Um, they roamed for more than 500 kilometers after reaching wow. the outskirts of Kunming, a center for business and tourism. They turned south and are going back home again, and it says here, but are still quite far from the reserve. So good luck to the wandering I elephants. I'm, I think I'm done wandering now. Forest elephant gumps are going back home. I just felt like walking. That's what what they're saying. Um, (laughs) I just felt like wandering. Do you think this is the last we're going to hear of the wandering elephants? Do you think we're going to get constant updates from them? I think so. Uh, I think this is wonderful. This should be a thing. They should put GPS trackers on them, and we should be able to watch a live feed of where they are cameras let's exploit these elephants in the way that elephants need to be exploited with pretty pictures because they're cute i don't know they could at least be raising money for charity or something if they're at it you know i feel like it's quite (laughs) self-centered it is self-centered selfish elephants you know it's all about them isn't it it's all we're the ones that are doing the walking we're the ones that are going 500 kilometers look at us (laughs) well how about other people you elephants You know what? I refuse. I don't care what happens in the next year. I've suddenly decided I'm anti the. I love elephants. All right. Like nothing makes me happier than those videos. Like if I'm feeling having a down day, I like to watch those elephants, you know, when they've like walked for ages to find, um, you know, like water in the Sahara or whatever. And they find that big pond and they dance around and they're so happy and splash and swim. I love that. But I've decided I'm against these elephants. I am going to refuse until they get back to the reserve and they send an update. <laughs> I'm home. I'm I'm not going to cover these elephants one more time. I'm done with them. All they do all I, they do uh, is walk. I can't uh, I can't believe we've made it this far without making a packing a trunk joke. So, I think we're good. No, I mean I I think my jokes are too good for these elephants. So let's move on. Um Utah resident demands uh Cox change his obscene last name. That's the next story. That is obscene. Mhm. That's C O X. By the so way, so who is Mr. Cox? Um, Cox is the governor of Utah State uh, and Salt Lake City, which is of course the capital. Uh, his name is Spencer Cox. Um, of course, there's many famous Coxes: Brian Cox, the uh, the scientist, and uh, Courtney Cox, the actor from actress from Friends. Um, but he said he received a letter from quote a very concerned citizen last week who asks. Uh, as you know, he demands that he change his name, or um, this is the threat. Uh, face protests. Um, 
the letter starts, I don't know if you know this, but when people say your last name, it sounds like a word that's slang for a male sex organ. It's obscene. And us decent people in Utah will not stand for it. Uh, the writer says that if Cox does not change his foul, dirty, and obscene surname, they, along with thousands of other Utahns, will be sitting in protest. Just <laughs> gonna sit down <laughs> um, until you change your heinous surname to something What's less the, offensive. Uh, so we've got. Go on, sorry. What, what was the name of the person who complained? Did they include that? Because oh, it'd be really funny if his name was Richard. Do they know um, that there no, was like... it... No, go ahead, Chris. So, no, no, I, the, the, as I was going to say, it's signed off by, um, it says love, which makes me think it's probably a troll um, or a joke. But it says love, comma, um, a very concerned citizen. But, sorry, go on, yeah. Ryan. I was just going to say, like, do they know that uh, the vice president or the he, the first president of the World Anti-Doping Agency and a legendary Canadian Olympian's name is Dick Pound. Like <sighs> there are just some names yes. out there that are like this. Also, that are like this. Yes. I'll never forget being a news anchor, not knowing who Dick Pound was and reading a script for the first time with his name and nobody warning me and nearly immediately laughing in, on air. There was oh, a realtor yeah. in Calgary who had busboard signs, and her name was Anita Dick. Yep. <laughs> oh my god! Everyone on the everyone in Canada heard me laugh at that. That's so embarrassing. It's <laughs> terrible. I love it though. Well, her first name oh, was Anita. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's not yeah, a joke sure. either. That's legit. Like that is totally no. a legit thing. Like I, it, it's just one of those. Yeah. Um, I I have a go to joke name. Um. I think it's a pretty standard one, but you know, if the you know you ever get pulled over by the cops or anything, I um I just and you know in Japan it's easy because you can pretend like you don't speak the language. But I always say my name is Bob Frapples. <laughs> that's pretty good. Too. Yeah, that's my name, like Bob that. Frapples. That's, that's and, and I went to school uh, with a guy whose uh, name I'll spell it out was uh, B A D C O C K uh, was his was his surname. Um, so, uh, that guy had obviously a very rough time, uh, through high Dating. school with a name like Badcock, right. you know, so <laughs> there you go. Um, oh. but yeah, I kind of embarrassed now cause I feel like I, I, I've actually, I just saw this letter and I will admit, I will be one reporter who will get on the air and admit I've made a mistake. Cause I think I have made a mistake with this story. I saw the a picture of the actual letter and it signed love, a very concerned citizen. And I realize now that this whole thing is just a dumb joke by probably the person. Um, and I'm going to hang my head in shame for the rest of the afternoon for reporting it on the radio. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the next story, uh, because we've got about two minutes here, the next story is sure. totally going to redeem yourself with the uh, crabs. Um, yeah, cool. So uh, we all know about the uh, big uh, plastic dump in the ocean. Well, it's making crabs horny. Um, crabs apparently uh, get sexually <laughs> excited um, by toxins uh, from plastic pollution. Uh, the waters off North Yorkshire coast have been, or is it part of the Atlantic, uh, found to contain a chemical uh, leaking from plastics called, and I, I, God, I can't say this word either, but it's probably oleamide, O-L-E-A-M-I-D-E. And scientists at the University of Hull have been researching this. Um, they found it's not only causing sexual excitement amongst crabs, 
but has also been mistaken for food, encouraging the critters to travel in search of them only to discover plastic. Um, but once they get there, they might not have a meal, but they'll have, you know, a good time in other ways. Uh, one of the researchers, PhD candidate Paula Schumermacher said, our study shows that oleamide attracts hermit crabs. Um, their respiration rate increases. Uh, they start, you know, I guess, clipping clipping their little pincers back and forth and doing a little side-to-side dance, and they start to feel said, stimulated and look for other crabs. You said pincer, right? What, 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 I, I believe I did. Okay, good. I hope I did. I said pincer. Yes, I did. I oh, said I pincer. I see where you're going with that. Uh, I said okay. pincer. All right. It's what happens. Um, anyway, if you have a crab and you want it to – actually, no, I'm not going to finish that sentence because if you have a crab, be responsible and don't give it oleamide. Give it, you know, like a shell and, and a book and a cushion and uh, don't do what these horrible researchers in, in England at the University of Hull are doing. Uh, look after your crabs at home, people. We had managed to keep this whole entire episode of The Shift on the rails without a dumpster fire until the last 16 minutes. Um, Hooray! And now we have horny crabs on the show. Um, <laughs> We're coming out of Sir our Chris- shell. Oh! Hey! Sir Christopher hey. Gilbert, the International Dispatch, all the way live from Tokyo. Now that he's free of the Olympics, has some time to have some fun. Thanks, Chris. Great to see your face, buddy. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. This is the Shift Podcast. Driving with my son recently, I went through a check stop. First one in a long time. And my son was actually driving. So the officer came to the car and did his speaking of what he needed to do. And my son did the breathalyzer. And he said, it's zero. And I was like, oh, that's good. He's 16. Um. So he had some fun with it. I'm pretty sure that the officers were training. I think that's what it was. Turns out I've been through it about four or five times since then. It does make me realize that there's a conversation that we haven't talked about in a year and a half, and that's drinking and driving. Uh, Andrew Murray is here with me from Mad Canada, CEO. Andrew, thank you for uh, spending some time here with us on The Shift. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. I thought it was time to sort of re-inspire the conversation, reignite the conversation around drinking and driving. We haven't been out so much. I mean, this may seem like a too simple or nondescript of a question, but has the pandemic helped? No, actually, it's hurt. um, Because what's happened during the pandemic, because of the stress levels, uh, consumption of alcohol and cannabis went up 25%. And even though there was less people on the roads and bars and restaurants were closed, more people were drinking and driving or using drugs and driving. And so we've had a bit of a spike. Again, it depended on the area. Um, It was statistically significant in the United States, 10%. And so that consumption, there's always usually a parallel if consumption increases quite a bit, then there's a parallel with other related harms Drinking and driving is one of them. Also, you know, assaults and those type of things, domestic disputes. So uh, it all plays out. So, no, the unfortunately, we thought the pandemic would really help the rates, but they, it's actually worked the other way. Well, consumption has absolutely been up, and I, I would have to throw myself into that bucket. There have been way more days that I've sat on the couch and had a couple of drinks than I normally would or, you know, go watch a show and go to bed and, you know, 
fall asleep with a drink on my nightstand. I'll admit it. I'm not proud of it, but um, I would have thought, would have thought that that it would have helped because more people were less mobile, at least in the daytime. Were you surprised by that shift, Andy? Were you, did you find it to be um, a little bit surprising in general? Um, I know you mentioned there that you had your hopes up, but it, it, shocked, really, shocked. hey, yeah, because. In other types of situations where people have driven less miles, like the oil embargo and, you know, very documented types of studies on uh, traffic fatalities, they've always gone down. So when less miles are driven, and this is the first time in our history of the motor vehicle that they've actually gone up. So we were shocked. Um, I think initially they did go down during that March, April, June period when everybody stayed home and, you know, not many people were moving around. And then I think through the series of opens up, lockdowns, opens up, lockdowns, depending on what part of the country we're in, um, a lot more people took risks, um, even though they weren't consuming in their traditional ways. And so typically, um, you know, bars, you know, the majority of uh, charges that police lay on the road come from, are coming home from bars. Um, and in this case, now they're coming from friend's house or coming from their own house. So um, I also expected to not hold. I expected it'll go back to normal behavior as people's lives turn back, will kind of wash away 20 and 21. The other thing is during initial stages of uh, the pandemic, the police weren't enforcing the laws because they didn't want to have that contact with the driver. We didn't know at that time how COVID occurred. And so police weren't doing traffic stops. They weren't enforcing the laws at the same way. And so you also had, you know, another great example is stunt driving in Ontario was up 900%. Wow. Yeah. So it, it was a period of reckless behavior by a few, but it made a big difference. Well, and to, to foreshadow a little bit of where we're going here, the if nobody's watching, what can I get away with is certainly a thing. So Absolutely. Okay, well, I see a lot here. I see a lot of different things. For example, if we're not supposed to be gathering and I've got my friend, my car parked at my friend's house, my friend says, dude, you can't leave your car here because I don't want to get caught or whatever. There's all kinds of new layers that we've never experienced mm-hmm. before. And not to mention when you're in the bar, we have a conditioned scenario where we're, you know, you don't drive home from the bar, but Hey, it's only three blocks from, you know, from Andy's place. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go home. Right. So isn't that funny how change, you know, the agent of change uh, really was, was the problem. Maybe COVID's not the problem. Maybe just changing habits is, Hey, well, also too, you know, like there was less cabs on the road, less Ubers, right. um, because there was no business. And so, you know, there wasn't the, you know, transit was down. People didn't want to get on transit because of COVID. And they certainly weren't staying overnight at people's houses. So a lot of the options that, you know, have worked for the last two decades, you know, either went away or were severely reduced as well. So a lot of people made a lot of bad decisions during this time frame. And so, you know, again, as we, you know, hopefully are coming out of this, you know, those options are opening up. So there was a story that came out of the States and it was on driving.ca about breathalyzers in cars and automakers have worked on technology fixes in many different ways around impaired drivers. And I'm assuming that this is something that you've been watching quietly in the background. Um, 
Is it possible, because here's what the, the headline says, U.S. Senate bill seeks to make anti-drunk driving technology mandatory in new cars and to set a new standard for automakers in the States, of course, so that's just direct trickle down to us in Canada, and having two years to comply in new cars. So where does that land with MAD? Because um, I would imagine it's anything you can get to you know, uh, diminish the opportunities to drink and drive. But at the same point, it does, it certainly doesn't solve the problem and must create a whole bunch of new ones. So curious to just bat around the ball on that one with you. So eventually um, we believe strongly that technology will resolve impaired driving. So there'll be technology where a person's going to make a bad decision that the, the car, the vehicle, whatever, will not allow that person to make that error in judgment or behavior. Uh, we've been involved in this uh, technology that the Senate uh, was talking about since 2007, working with the auto industry, been very much in, in favor of it. To be honest with you, it's taken way too long um, to develop. Um, you know, it's been 14 years. There was a promise back in 2007 it would happen within in five years. The technology works. Um, it's been tried in vehicles. Um, but it's not going to work if it's not mandatory. And so that's the big push now is, you know, there's the ability to do it. Um, and, you know, somebody has to drop the standards and the automobile industry has to comply. And I mean, as much as that was our big hope back in 2007, the other thing that's emerged out of this um, has nothing to do with impaired driving is autonomous vehicles. So when you look at a level four vehicle, which is coming commonplace, um, and it will come more commonplace, you know, basically where the vehicle breaks on its own, stays within its lane, sends all kinds of singles to the driver. Um, you know, that that might supersede some of this other technology that's, that's being suggested. Um, but the one thing that it will work with that the other technology that we're talking about in the U.S. Senate is it'll also work with drugs because drugs show, um, you know, factors that cause you to come out of your lane or you don't break in time where the system that they're talking about in the U.S. Senate deals with only alcohol. And the majority of our deaths here in Canada, and it's a growing number in the United States and worldwide, are coming from drugs, from legalization of cannabis to opiates to, you know, so we have to have a solution that deals with impaired driving, not drunk driving. Do we need to change that word? I mean, is it not drinking and driving anymore? Is it impairment? Uh, is that really the word? Yeah, we call it that. Yeah. We, we've always called it because people don't, you know, there's not silos of people that just drink and drive or use drugs in driving especially amongst young people, males 18 to 34, which are the most common age group and gender to drive impaired, they mix and match all the time. Isn't that ironic um, a little bit, and I mean this playfully, that the mad marketing worked so well that now it's working against you because don't drink and drive was the marketing for so long and now, yeah. it's, now it's actually kind of working against you. It's kind of ironic. Yeah, well, you know, in one hand... Um, I give us a lot of credit because for all of us that have been working on this, we, we've largely reduced the alcohol and driving. You, you mentioned about your son and all those programs with zero tolerance and people know better. Um, we haven't hit the same, 
you know, mark with drugs and driving. You know, people think it's safer to drive under the influence of cannabis. And then in the last 18 months, especially during the pandemic, we've seen a tremendous increase in opiates and driving. People like high on fentanyl passing out in the car and the car still running. And those ones are really scary. And, and as you know, we have a opiate crisis in this country. It's not going anywhere. And for you know the longest period of time, we didn't see people with opiates and driving because they were probably too high to function, but they're doing it now. And so um, that piece of it is the scariest part. And the police are telling us, you know, um, they're seeing it in the community, they're seeing it in vehicles, they're seeing it everywhere. So that that one needs to be dealt with ASAP. Is that t- is does the technology catch the opioids? Because opioids in our conversations here on the shift, Andy, have been uh, like focused around secrecy, right? That so many people that you. Without, with the people that we bring uh, on the program and our, our contributors around that, the story is the same as you will be shocked who uses opioids if everybody just mm-hmm. put their hand up. And so, I mean, the secrecy around opioids is a big thing. So does the technology catch it? Because I would imagine, why would you not drive? Why didn't you drive your car home? Because I had fentanyl, right? Like nobody's going to answer that question. Why didn't you drive home? Because I had four beers, right? Like, so we don't answer that question the same way. Can the technology catch all that stuff? Yeah. So the, the, like the oral fluid technology that's being used now, and it's approved for use in Canada, um, especially for drugs, anything that's stimulant related opiates would be in that category um they they do a really good job it's it's like the breathalyzer that they use for alcohol they don't work as well with the depressants um like the the um, accuracy rate is not as high so there's a lot of work to be done in there but the one the stimulants you know the cocaine uh the opiates are the most dangerous so it's picking up the most dangerous drugs so it's terribly inconvenient. How, I mean, I, I was trying to think of ways. Okay, well, how can I beat the system if this is the case? If I buy a new car, you know, is this just going to push people from buying new cars? Is this going to, am I going to take a balloon and fill it up? Am I going to get my son to blow in the thing? Um, you know, there's all kinds of ways around this. And then I go to the other side and I go, okay, well, we all decided, you know, 30 or 40 years ago that seatbelts were okay. So then we all said, okay, seatbelts in cars, mandatory, wear them, off you go. So I get that side. But I also, I str- you know what has really got me through COVID, Andrew, is the arrows on the grocery store floor, right? This notion that we can't be personally responsible to respect six feet of space between people. And we, if you and I want to get potato chips, we've got to go this way. I mean, there is a human responsibility here. And I can't help but, and I just mean it in, not in the spirit of, frankly, my experience of this story is that are we just giving up on personal responsibility and people to have a brain in their head? Excuse my frankness with it. Well, I, I think the thing is, it's this technology, different from people that have been convicted of impaired driving, this is passive technology. And that's why it's taken so much longer to get automobile manufacturers comfortable with it. So what it means is, that it will never, you won't even know that technology is in your vehicle to the time you try to drive impaired and it says, we're not going to allow you. Or we're going to allow you to drive because of safety risks, 
but the maximum speed will restrict you to 20 kilometers an hour and your flashers are going off. So you're like a, a radar screen for any police enforcement agency. So it, it takes into the account, you know, in Canada, we have winter weather. You don't want to be freezing, you know, because your vehicle won't start. If you happen to be a female or any type of person that's in a dangerous situation and you need to move away from that spot, that allows that to happen as well. So that's the kind of thing that we're looking at. It's not what some of these headlines in the media concur is you think, well, every time I get in that vehicle, I have to blow a sample. That will never happen in any of these new vehicles that the technology is. Sounds in-depth, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, you know, I've seen it um, operate in the labs where, you know, they purposely get somebody um, consuming alcohol and then enter the vehicle. And within a second, that technology is telling that driver, you can't drive. Hmm. It's really good. Like, so it's, you know, the big battle right now is can we get the politicians, can we get the auto industry, you know, can we all get together and move this along at a pace because we've proven the technology can work. We just need the political will and the cooperation of the auto industry to close the door on this technology and get it in vehicles. And even when we're talking, you know, we're not gonna see it for five to seven years at the earliest. And who knows what's going to happen with autonomous vehicles at the same time. Well, that's a good point, uh, right? Yeah, so we're cheering it all on. Like, I mean, level four technology in autonomous vehicles is really protective of drivers. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to a time frame when you have high autonomous technology and also this ability to not allow people that are impaired, just not alcohol, but it's got to be drugs as well. So in my experience of this, and I'm sure that you guys have done your research on this too, and I'm just going to be honest. I mean, as I go through this conversation, Andrew, I, I feel resistant to it, right? I feel I get in this big brother story. I get in this, you know, you can't tell me if I'm smart enough. Um, I get in this, you know, I've made all these decisions for all these years. I've been smart. I've done it all. Uh, so why am I the guy that has to pay extra in my car for this technology? Uh, all of these different things, because, I mean, the price of the vehicle would go up. Uh, it's just what it is. And so why do we go through that? Because I do. I have this I have this resist thing that's going on, just as we talk about it. it part of my brain's going, this makes sense. Think of the seatbelt, chain. But then there's part of me that's resisting it. And I'm going, come on, man. I can push my cart through the grocery store, metaphorically, in the right direction and stay away from everybody and not cause problems, right? So why do we resist it? Well, it's the whole behavior and choice thing. And so, you know, initially when this idea was being flushed out in 2007, 2010, it was to see if we could even get the technology to work in a motor vehicle. And so even if it was to occur, it was to be voluntary. And then as you come along and you do the due diligence on technology, people that, um, whether for, you know, their, their ability to make their own decisions, you know, want to make that choice, don't like things to be mandatory. 
But I can tell you that at some point, politicians need to make that decision for the better good of society. Because, you know, if you left seatbelts not mandatory, a lot of lives would have been lost up to now. So, you know, at some point, it just comes common sense. You know, you've got to put society before you allow people. Um, and it's that classic debate, where do my civil liberties start and end? And where does public safety start and end? Yeah, well, and I, I guess I always come back to much like this conversation we had about um, change in the very beginning of this, is change is difficult at the same time. Why is it all the bad people are going to cost me more money and limit? But I guess the reality, and I'm just, I'm just working my way through this. I'm just trying to be authentic to translate to the audience that they're not going to be alone if that's the way they experience this too. But why do I have to pay more? Because that guy's a dummy is really, you know, to put it into, into real language. Yeah. So it's like everything we have, like insurance, you're, you're paying for bad drivers, you know, um, you know, those, those type of things like that. And it's, it's the thing that I can tell you about the technology that I've experienced it's cents on the dollars. Like it's not going to increase the cost of cars whatsoever. It's old technology that was developed back in Sweden around 2000. So the actual technology is a couple of bucks. So it's not that technology that's going to cause, you know, cars to go up. What's going to cause cars to go up is all those autonomous features that are coming in all vehicles that are going to be mandated you know, like lane departure, crash collision. Those are expensive technology pieces that will add thousands of dollars to the vehicle. And you're not going to have a choice in those. Andrew Murray is the CEO of MAD in Canada. And um, I really appreciate just the honest conversation about it, Andrew. I think that that's exactly how we get it across and, and, and try to, I don't know, we just got to accept the fact that some things we are worried about and maybe chatting about it is what we, we need to do. Yeah. And I, you know, like, I mean, I'm an old guy and I've, you know, had to adopt the technology as you come along here. And, and then you realize that, you know, we've been at this battle for better in 30 years, depending on people to make good behavioral choices. And, you know, the vast majority of people have made great behavior choices when it comes to impaired driving, but we still have that about 20% that refuse to do it. And so we need something else to make sure that they comply with the other 80%. And not to be forgotten that it, the technology for someone else using it might save someone we care about. And that's really the most grounded place. Andrew, thanks for the time. Appreciate it, man. No, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. It's the Shift Podcast. It's time for us to get into Are You Okay? And you can contribute to this too, by the way. 877-399-9898. Are you okay with the meatball? Oh, bene. bene. Although that's probably, that's, probably, that's probably not right, you know, because it's not the meatball. It's probably, how would you do it? If it's Ikea meatballs, how would you do it? Oh, uh, Swedish chef. Well, that's that work, 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 meatball. <laughs> I don't think that's okay. Sven, I want the meatball. That sounds Italian. I can't so say it in an Italian. accent other than Italian. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the thing. Are you okay with IKEA meatballs? Have you ever had them? Yeah, I they're they're really good. But the thing is, I prefer IKEA hot dogs. They're those oh, are really? amazing. 
I could no, I could no. eat six IKEA hot dogs back to back. Yeah, but they're, they're so skinny. They, yeah, but they're good. They're just like I don't know. The bun is really but they're not nice. like Costco hot dogs. That's what, that's gonna no, be our Costco lunch. Is still we're, the best. We're, we're going to we're going to Costco for our lunch hot take, dogs. I don't have a Costco card. I'm a millennial, so please take mm-hmm. me <laughs> because right. I I've had a hot dog in so long. Seriously though, no joke. I'll take you to uh, I'll just take you to Costco to get groceries. It's no problem. We'll yeah, go. sure. I'll stock you up. I'd rather see you spend three hundred dollars on a kayak and some raspberry jelly in one store Christmas than those decorations. shoes you buy. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, okay. Uh, I've just recently discovered the magic of the pre-processed meatball that you can buy in the store, like the frozen ones, the vacuum-packed ones. They're pre-seasoned. You basically just cook them in the oven, throw them into your sauce, and it's amazing, right? Like I've just recently discovered this. Um, so this is new to me. Um, but if you go to IKEA and go shopping. Do you stop at the food court? Ryan does. He says this. He says it's hard to go to Ikea and not stop and get a hot dog or some meatballs. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are delicious for good reason. And here's more on why Ikea can sell. Billions and billions and billions of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This clip is from Mashed on YouTube. When you say Ikea, most people think of probably a piece of furniture um, or our Swedish meatballs. Because of the insane volume of meatball sales, we wouldn't blame you for assuming that they're also loaded with all sorts of weird additives, preservatives, and laboratory-grade chemicals. But amazingly, Ikea delivers a billion of these babies to hungry shoppers each year using all natural ingredients. The Ikea website lists the contents of their meatballs, and the rundown is surprisingly simple. A combination of pork and beef, onion, breadcrumbs, egg, water, salt, and pepper. This gentle seasoning allows the flavor of the meat to shine through and makes Ikea meatballs one of those rare quick-service meals that's actually made of real food. Actually made of real food. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Thanks for letting us know that food is... This is the world we live in when we're surprised that (laughs) that food is made with real food. That's dreadful. Okay, the demand for meatballs is high, but is it high enough for a meatball-scented candle? Mm. Well, there are other worst meat, uh, worst scented candles that are out there. Here's more from WTOL 11. Furniture maker wants to disassemble your stresses and bathe your senses. They're releasing Swedish meatball candles to celebrate the company's 10 years of IKEA's loyalty program. So 900 people will win the limited edition candle. You can register starting tomorrow on the IKEA 10 Years of Family webpage until August 22nd. Wow. I, uh, (laughs) as a prize, as kind of a funny prize that you could like leave on a coffee table, like kind of like a conversation thing. I think that's neat. But if I was to go into Ikea and see this for sale, it would give me the same vibes as that KFC scented fire log that you can buy at Christmas time. You know, I didn't even know that was a thing, really. Oh, it's very real. If if you go to Canadian Tire, you'll see a stack of a hundred of them. They're there. Really? Yep. Okay, well, this is kind of cool. Ikea released the recipe for the meatballs during the pandemic so people could make them at home when they couldn't get into the stores. Um, By the way, why does uh, Ikea even serve them? Um, Ikea founder Ingvar Kompred, I don't know if I said that right, he says it's difficult to do business with someone on an empty stomach. 
That's why he started doing food. In 2019, IKEA said it was working on a plant-based meatball that looks and tastes like meat, but is made from plant-based al- plant-based alternative proteins. <sighs> the Beyond Meat um, meatball. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, I don't yeah. mind the Beyond Meat stuff. I think it's fine. I, I think yeah, but it's not. It's pretty I, yummy. I just don't. I just know it's not worth it. As far as I'm, I mean, it tastes fine. It's a fine meal. But it's like it just I don't know why they have to call it meat. Why can't they just call it whatever it is? Anyway, there are other way worse candles out there, by the way. If you'd like, I just draw you to go to goop.com, which is Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, site where she has a candle uh, that is called this candle smells like my vagina. So isn't it like eighty dollars? Something like that. Oh, I don't know. I didn't get that far in. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, Sounds like it's in your price range for things to buy. <laughs> uh, <that's... laughs> uh, Sorry, buddy. That's pretty good. I'll, I'll give uh, you that one. That's pretty good. All right. Okay. Are you okay? First of all, I'm not okay with any of that conversation. I'd like to apologize. I'd like to apologize. Are you okay with going on a sightseeing tour? We're going on a tour. Uh, you ever notice that? The tour? Yeah. The tour? Well, you go on tour. You're going on tour, right? Like you're going on tour. Like a band's going on tour. Mm-hmm. But in golf, like you play in a tournament. There's a comedian does this whole thing about it. It's amazing. So like, hey, it's a hockey tournament. It's a golf tournament, right? It's, it's a tournament. But if you got it the other way around, you'd be like, it's a tournament, right? It's one of those words that we use two different ways. Isn't? But if they turned it around and did it the other though? way, it would be like Def Leppard's going on tour. Yeah, but like I feel like that's like a tournament. I feel like that's like a British thing, and then with Canadian accent, we kind of just lost. We're it. lazy. Yeah, we're yeah, lazy. But how can that. we be? A, how can it be a tour and a tour? How can a it be tur- a tournament and a tournament? A turn, right? Hmm. Hmm. Language. Anyway, sightseeing tours are, okay are cool, though. Them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't oh, done one in a long time. I remember one time I did one. I th- I can't. There's a castle in Hamilton. I can't remember what it is called. Casanova or is that the no the castle what's that big one in Toronto not that one another one anyway I went on a tour there uh, and Dunder? I remember yes that one yes I remember the tour and then we went downstairs and there was like a creepy well and I 100% saw a shadow or something in the corner probably from another mm-hmm. person but I ran right out of there um, but other than that uh, spooky moments tours are cool yeah why not all right fair enough uh, I don't like the the yelly host. When you get a good host, that's real dynamite. Yeah, you know, it was great. I was on a, a sugar cane train tour in Hawaii once, just like a little train tour, and they sort of give the history of the sugar canes. And the guy who was hosting it, and he had this joke. He's like, "How do we know when it's winter in Hawaii?" I'm like, "How do you know it's How? winter in Hawaii?" And he's like, "Because that's when all the Canadians show up, right? Because we don't have seasons." <laughs> so, um, so I mean, he was fun, right? But tours are cool. Old European towns, Tokyo streets, old historic neighborhoods in North America. This is not one of those tours. 300 people turned out for the fifth annual Wedge Cat Tour, where they walked about a mile and a half to look at cats from outside of people's homes. This group got to look at about three dozen felines in windows, porches, and front yards just to look at them. They got to do it after hosting it virtually last year during the pandemic. Here's more from Fox 9. It's good to get back out there walking around the neighborhood looking at cats after last year. Last year's tour was virtual, so we didn't have 
a big turnout, but it's, it's good to get back out there. Organizer John Edwards says he started it to make fun of historic home tours in the neighborhood, but the event turned out to have nine lives. People love cats. It's, it's a wholesome event. It's fun. It gets you out into a beautiful neighborhood to walk around and appreciate the buildings. So... I mean, it has all those things going for it. She's starling. She's gorgeous. For some, it's the perfect opportunity to see their furry friends take center stage. You get to be around other cat people. They should have more cat things here. <laughs> I think that's a great cat, and I like its haircut. And so does Big Boy. But for others, the tour is the cat's meow. A pleasant evening. That's it. I'm not looking for much. Just a nice night to walk around and look at cats in nice houses. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a few things to unpack there, isn't there? Is that a, is that a dog bark there? Like, did that you bring dog your dog bark, on yeah. the cat someone tour? Took a, yeah, someone did bring their <laughs> dog to a cat tour. <laughs> oh. I just, I okay, think it's well, funny because, like, the cats aren't going to be happy to see you. They're just going to be like, no, why are all these people here? Why are they not going to see you when you have food? Long. I, did well, I don't like, have a cat I, sound I effect, that strangely enough. Uh, well, we don't. Like I, don't I don't expect much. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, love... Just, I just want to look at cats and have a, and, and nice houses and have a nice night. I honestly, I hope I'm like that when I'm old. Honestly, if I just want to walk around. If you're and a look cat person. Shoes. I appreciate your love affair for your, the animal that you have. I'm not a cat person. I had a cat. He was the best cat ever. I never need to get another cat again. His name was Speck, and. Um, and that's it. That's all. That's, that's the end of the story, right? Like, I just, I don't get it. I don't have a cat sound effect, but I do have this. And that's all I got. Are you okay? Are you okay with McDonald's ads? Ads? Oh, really? No. I think another typo script was not replaced because I remember changing that. Uh-oh. Oh, uh, are you okay with McDonald's ads? A-D-D-S. That's a typo. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, this is definitely the old script. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read play it that, anyway. Go, Leo, so play I... that, uh, Leo, play that second clip. Play that second clip. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. It's a classic jingle that usually goes along with an advert for a burger that looks amazing on TV. For one woman in Russia, though, she's reportedly suing McDonald's over an advert featuring cheeseburgers, chicken nuggets, which she said caused her to break her fast. She was in her fast for Lent. Then it was so tempting. She saw the advertisement. She said, nope, I'm going to do it. She bought a cheeseburger. Now she's suing McDonald's because of it. Fox News spoke with David Gibbs from the National Center for Life and Liberty to get a sense of if she has a chance of winning her lawsuit for breaking her Lent. We know that's what advertising is supposed to do. And uh, unfortunately, her lawsuit would have no legs here in the United States. Uh, Russian courts can look at it a little differently. But the law is pretty clear that if you don't intentionally mislead deceive or defraud that you are allowed to have ads that encourage people to buy your product and certainly image ads you know the cologne will make you more attractive the tennis shoe will make you a better athlete the food will make you happier those have always been protected and really in our courts there would be no liability it'll be interesting to see how russia handles this situation thanks for listening to the shift podcast 
Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.